Hello everyone, and thank you once again for listening to the Saga of World War II, a Cassus Belly project. This particular appendix is a little bit different from ones I've done in the past. First of all, I've divided it into two parts. The first part is my interview with Arthur Plachanik, the North American Regional Publishing Director for Wargaming Group, and formerly the Executive Producer for World of Warships. In the interview, we discuss World of Warships, a tactical naval online multiplayer game. We discuss the research that goes into the game, the mechanics of the game, the introduction of submarines, and Wargaming Group's work with StackUp.org. I hope you all find this appendix interesting. It strays a little further from strictly World War II history that I've done in the past, but I think it could be of interest to many of you. World of Warships portrays many of the ships I mention in the show, but I imagine many of you are gamers like I am. Conducting this interview was a real treat for me because I am a big enthusiast for both history and games, and actually play World of Warships. If, after listening to the interview, any of you would like more information, you can go to wargaming.net to see Wargaming's full category of wargames, or you can search for World of Warships on Steam. I will also provide a link at casusbellypodcast.com to the game. Part 2 of this appendix will be a sort of addendum, where I go through the state of the major powers' navies going into the Second World War. I've talked a lot about the war at sea and the Pacific Theater already, but I don't think I've had an episode dedicated to just talking about where sea power was going into the Second World War, so this appendix will rectify that. I hope you all enjoy listening to this appendix as much as I enjoyed making it. You can also email me at casusbellyguy at gmail.com with any questions you might have. So let's begin Appendix E, Part 1, Interview with Arthur Plachanik about World of Warships. So I would describe World of Warships as a free-to-play, real-time, massively multiplayer, tactical, naval strategy game. But that's, uh, that's kind of a mouthful, and, uh, but WoW doesn't necessarily fit into existing genres like first-person shooter or real-time strategy very neatly. So how would you describe the game? No, it doesn't. It doesn't fit in very neatly. And uh, whenever we ask our players, we also get mixed responses. With some people saying it's more of a shooter game, and some people are saying it's a strategy game. And uh, we uh, like to refer to it as a naval combat action game. Excellent. Thanks. So I know World of Warships is very interesting to me as a student of history, someone that studies it, but also as a gamer, because it the actual in-game gameplay is is a lot of fun and fast-paced but at the same time it kind of gives you a semi-tactile experience of all the ships well especially for me the ships that i have been studying or recounting the naval battles they've participated in you know sometimes it's fun for me to see there's the big name ships like the iowa or the uh, uh, uss lexington or something like that and that that's sort of my buy into the game but how do you see World of Warships being of interest to students of history or just anyone with a general interest in historical navies? So we, um, we kind of give people the ability to see and to touch that, uh, you know, with their own hands, so to speak. Because in, in other media, you're going, to get, um, you're going to get the information, but a lot of it is going to be either left up to your own imagination or uh, presented to you in a very specific way as somebody else intended while um, we kind of give you that immersive experience where um, you're going to be able to um, do certain things with the ships that we have in the game and therefore uh, can get a feeling of how they behaved or how they you know um, 
how they functioned in their natural environment, so to speak. So as an example of that, you know, you might you might be a big fan of naval engineering and read all about what uh, you know what it meant for a uh, a battleship to have uh, a certain amount of tonnage and how fast it was going and how fast its rudder shift was, but you that doesn't really tell you that doesn't give you this this visualization of what that would actually look like when you you know when you put it on the water and with the warships you get to press a few keys you know and watch the rudder shift turn uh, to its uh, you know extreme settings and then that kind of shows you how fast or how sluggish the ship would actually be in making and executing a turn so you you kind of get that validation and that feeling of of what it's actually like versus just having the information uh, you know on paper that you might get in somewhere somewhere else yeah, and that's a great point. And it actually kind of brings me to my next question, which is there's sort of a lot going on under the hood, as it were, in, in the game that determines, you know, the rudder shift speed or how quickly yeah. the guns turn, the diameter of the guns. So what research goes into the game and the in-game design of the ships, considering everything from armor plating, diameter of guns, speed, and just the actual appearance of the ships? So there's there's a massive amount of research. All of that is researched as much as we can. Obviously, for those for those mechanics that make up a core part of the gameplay, for example, ballistics and, and armor schemes, we do take, you know, we do put gameplay in the forefront of that, so we take more liberties there than in other places, but we still do um, do our research so that we have um, an amount of information that allows us to put uh, our uh, gameplay choices or our design choices into the right context for people, so that it does not, so that ships do not turn into uh, things that are unbelievable or, or purely purely fantastical. And so, um, when we do, for example, armament research for certain ships, we do uh, make sure that we set ourselves a certain limit for for the design choices that we make and how we we transform real uh, research materials and, and the characteristics that are assigned to specific things into you know gameplay characteristics or DPS values or stuff that people see in the game that that later transform into you know damage rolls or, or whatnot so that those remain believable for people and that they have a feeling that the ship itself uh, behaves as it should for what it is and uh, on top of that, for actual ships, there's a, a huge problematic for us to uh, to build them, to build the models themselves, because we do need to have a certain amount of uh, references for that. And if we cannot get them, then we might actually have a threshold which says we we don't want to produce the ship because we uh, we can't build it accurately enough. And to get those those blueprints, we had to jump through many hoops, both in terms of logistics and getting to places where those might still exist, uh, as well as bureaucratic or or, or even uh, in terms of getting national uh, security clearances from from certain places to be able to access those those materials that then allow us to have an accurate picture of what a ship was like in terms of its uh, its physical characteristics and physical dimensions. 
and you know for other 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 sh- uh, for certain nations it's it's easier than for others the u.s navy is very well documented in that respect and there are a lot of museum ships still afloat because of how important the u.s navy is is to the american people and so we went there you know we bought all the books and we went to all the museum ships we we uh took a bunch of photographs of of everything that we could even of places where normally the public is not allowed to go and the museums were gracious enough to let us into into some of those places for us to be able to you know uh, have an accurate uh, documentation of what compartments inside the ships would look like even though in world of warships you might not see them but they are still important for us in terms of um, what the ship's internal makeup was like and how it impacted its performance in battle Uh, and then we transformed those uh, things into uh, design choices like hit point distributions, you know, within a hull uh, of a ship. So there's a huge amount of research that goes in, into the game, and we we take it seriously. Yeah, and I think it comes across as for anyone who hasn't played the game. When in sort of the main menu for it, you can hover your cursor over a ship, and it'll give you a short blurb about the the history of that ship, what year it was launched, and sort of what how it came about or what its role was. But also, there's a lot of there's I think like seven, eight, maybe nine little drop-down menus for armor and guns and anti-air capability that, you know, give you kind of the number of guns, the diameter, the thickness of the armor plating. So it really comes through in the in the game itself, the, yeah. the level and, of research that goes into it. And and that's kind of even still, that's kind of vestigial in that sense because those are the, the we have to balance what we show to people in, in terms of not overwhelming them because obviously, you know, a lot of our play, players actually don't want to go that deep into the history and engineering aspect. So we do have to moderate how much we show people. Uh, and, and in that aspect, those numbers that you see are just those numbers that we really need to show them versus the amount of actual information that we have gathered and that might be still hidden you know, beneath the mechanics, as you said before. So you go through and do all the research into each of the navies and um, of the various navies represented, each kind of has its own flavor or feel. For example, within the destroyer class, Japanese destroyers are very, very sneaky. They're high concealment. Um, yeah. They use their torpedoes are really their primary weapon, and their main guns uh, are only used in more desperate situations. Whereas maybe American destroyers are sort of a hybrid class where you can use the torpedoes, but also you're going to be using your main guns a lot. What What was the decision making for you guys with that? How much of it is based on historical doctrine and how much of it is sort of leaning into gameplay it's a mix of both uh, you know as i said before gameplay does need to take the forefront because we need to make sure that the game is fun but we do look at the doctrines and the historical and the engineering characteristics of uh, each specific ship or each uh, class of ships or each um, uh, specific subclass and we look at um, what those characteristics are and how they define and influence the the performance on the of the or the role of the ship itself. And then we kind of move it, uh, move the performance characteristics of each of those elements that it has, um, you know, to to a certain uh, point and to a certain direction. Uh, and then uh, we assign ourselves a. A limit to that so that you know um, the performance of uh, each 
individual characteristic does not exceed the believable, as I said before. And uh, that's kind of how we try to make sure that that we still have a unique blend of those characteristics that informs the gameplay of each ship, but that does not move any of those characteristics outside of the realm of the of what people believe they should they should act uh, they should act like. And that's kind of how we, uh, by tweaking all of those characteristics, how we kind of try to make sure that each of those branches does have its own flavor, even though on paper it might have had, for example, the same caliber guns, or it might have had the same, uh, you know, engine power. And to, you know, to people who are maybe not not as well-versed or not, you know, not uh, have done uh, a lot of research into the characteristics or into those um, doctrines of each navy, those might look the same, but actually they're not really in the game itself and how they behave. Yeah, and it's completely understandable. It's, again, something that a lot of game designers have to contend with, that uh, gameplay versus simulation dynamic. It, to a certain degree, some yeah. players are looking for are looking for a simulation, but most probably aren't. Most are probably looking for more of a dynamic experience. Yeah, that's that's very true. We we you know we said from the beginning that this game is not supposed to be a simulation. It's you know the the term that we used before is naval combat action game, and that's kind of the the, the defining principle for it to have that action element. Uh, but we do so we do still try to to kind of appease the historical crowd or, or rather uh, fulfill their needs and fulfill fulfill their wishes uh, by giving them just enough of those historical markers and historical materials uh, and at least by making sure that we um, that we get the ship models as accurate as possible so that you know uh, even though we have to take liberties for gameplay purposes with some of the mechanics the models themselves are as accurate as, as we can make them yeah and I think um, something that the way the uh, the ship the different ships and ship classes are balanced within the game does well is that it naturally without telling or dictating to players what they need to do or what they should be doing provides them with incentives to play in sort of historical roles so destroyers will often be sort of upfront um, screening or conducting reconnaissance or spotting in the parlance of the game cruisers will be taking on other roles a sort of hybrid role between destroyers and capital ships and the battleships themselves will be you know duking it out long range with the other battleships um, and that also sort of helps to create a, a, a narrative for each engagement that you participate in. Yeah, so, so that's just the thing. We have to usually be very careful with that because the more kind of the more rails you put into the game and the more structured you make the experience, the less uh, diverse it is for people and the less replayable it is because they're only they're going to be you know very, focused and very limited into a specific type of experience that they have to emulate to be good. So while we do want them to kind of take on those historical roles because it benefits the end result that they're going to achieve, and in some cases it benefits their effectiveness in battle, we do still want people to have the feeling that they can do whatever they want in the battle and still be effective as long as they, um, as, as long as they kind of mitigate uh, certain risks that they take in battle, and as long as they're, you know, good enough in exploiting uh, whatever is happening, uh, sometimes even contrary to the typical role or the typical play style of whatever they're playing. 
So right now the the game has um, it's expanded from initially there was just the U.S. and Japanese fleets. Now there's German, Italian, uh, sort of a pan-European category that sort of covers all the various other European nations not already included. I believe the French have been included as well. In addition to all of that, Wargaming has now decided that they want to include submarines into the game. So what was the uh, impetus for that decision to begin including submarines? So we've, we've always wanted to do that from the very beginning. But, you know, in the, in the beginning, we had to focus on making sure we're, we're producing a viable product and a fun game. And so we made the decision to focus on the four classes that we have right now in the game. Because those four classes... They um, partic- they made up the bulk of, of naval engagements in the first half of the uh, 20th century, which is the period that the game uh, describes. They were using similar characteristics to reach their operational goals. They were usually just firing shells at each other or dropping bombs at each other and trying to mitigate the impact of those actions by having different armor schemes and layouts. Um, but submarines are different from that because they use... Uh, mostly stealth and positioning to reach their objectives, and their objectives are are different from um, direct combat engagements. And so, it was a, a choice for us to focus on on those four classes because they were uh, they allowed us to make sure that we have a consistent and uh, consistent and fun experience in the game. And now, after after four years of operating the game, we're kind of confident that that experience is still there after, you know, four years of releasing updates and balancing patches and, you know, uh, different sh- adding different ship lines. And our community is also stable. It's, it's on a uh, slow, you know, growing uptrend. And so we're now confident that uh, we can make the decision to do something as momentous as adding another class and the class that was usually so very different in terms of operational goals, and that now we kind of have the right ideas of how to do that without breaking the fun experience of uh, what it is to play with one of those four classes and interact with each other uh, by by you know by adding uh, submarines into the mix and adding you know another dimension that's below water and all of these other complexities. Yeah, and you've touched on this a little bit already, but how do you see submarines fitting into the dynamic that already exists in the game? For example, destroyers right now sometimes do act maybe the way submarines will, where they're very low detectability, primarily rely on uh, stealth, but then there's also other classes that don't play that way at all. You know, there's battleships and aircraft carriers, which typically enjoy lots of standoff from uh, the other ships and players in the game. So how do you see submarines fitting into that? I think it's going to depend on the people playing submarines because they are going to attract a specific target audience from within our uh, our player base. Um, and uh, there will be people who will play them kind of like destroyers uh, in, in a similar way where they're going to fulfill or maybe that the, they're going to kind of encroach on the traditional destroyer role that, that is currently in the game. Uh, but not significantly because submarines are going to have um, a unique set of um, characteristics and, and drawbacks that are different um, from uh, destroyers and that um, kind of enforce playing that role even slightly differently than, than uh, destroyers do. 
And then there's going to be people who are going to have very romantic ideas about what it is or what it means to be a submariner and how those ships should behave. Uh, and they're going to play uh, very differently than destroyers do now, you know, now in the game. So that's kind of why we need to have a very extensive testing scheme where, first of all, we, we did a lot of testing already uh, kind of internally on our uh, internal test servers within the company. Uh, and we've been doing that for a long time until we kind of got to a place where we were confident enough that the, the design is heading in the right in the right direction. But now we really need to release them into a public setting, even if it's just for a specific event as a test, because we need to see what what players are going to uh, to do with them and how players are going to play them. Because, you know, players, everybody in the industry says that, that you have a plan and then players break it. And that's mostly mostly what happens all the time. And we're not under any illusion that this is not going to happen right now with submarines on the test, because it is. And we need to see how many players are going to play them in, you know, in a very Silent Hunter-esque way where they're mostly going to be full stealth and not engaging people and just, you know, sailing around underwater and being happy with just that versus, you know, people who are going to be exploiting more of the mechanics and uh, maybe playing more aggressively and, and uh, potentially uh, potentially taking on some of the roles of, of destroyers. And then based on that, we're going to make like more adjustments to uh, to our designs and to the potential characteristics, so that uh, so that destroyers don't get displaced fully from the game. Uh, and I, I don't think that's going to happen anyway. I think there's going to be a, a relatively small target audience for submarines. Yeah, and I mean, as submarines are introduced, you'll also have to introduce, I assume, uh, anti-submarine warfare (ASW) mechanics into the game, which will provide those players that don't switch over another sort of another role that doesn't already exist. But I was wondering sort of what plans or what steps have you taken to implement the, those new mechanics? So so naturally when you think submarines you also think anti-submarine warfare because that's kind of how how the the media released in the last 50 years or so have portrayed that. It's you know uh, it's always going to be submarine versus destroyers with depth charges. So that's also what we're going to have by necessity in the game. It's just part of the experience. And so um, that's kind of going to be the main uh, counter armament that we're going to allow uh, destroyers and light cruisers to have. And then we're going to see whether the characteristics that we've given to submarines right now uh, are kind of or are balanced enough uh, in, a, in a way so that other classes don't feel helpless against them. And if that's not the case, and if we do believe or see uh, signs that, that players are kind of struggling and are not happy or are feeling that they are helpless against submarines in those other classes, then we're going to look at adding other uh, um, you know, active or passive abilities uh, or ways for people to counter submarine gameplay. <clears throat> like one of the examples could be uh, looking into the potential of having catapult-launched airplanes that have uh, depth charges or anti-submarine bombs. Uh, but but we're we're going to be very cautious with that because we also want to keep to keep a feeling that 
there are certain classes where as a submarine you shouldn't be afraid of them like destroyers you should treat that as your like no-go zone unless you're really confident and the situation in the battle allows for you to do that to engage a destroyer and then there's there should be your standard prey in the battle and with the absence of uh, of convoy raiding which is not uh, directly implemented in, in our game you still need to have a kind of target or prey prey type for submarines and that should by necessity be capital ships and so we're going to have to balance those those dynamics against each other but as i said we're going to look at, at the, the testing data that we get from live uh live testing and we're going to see how that develops further yeah and as a player of the game i mean i'm very excited to kind of see how those dynamics evolve over time and sort of where they end up as well as just implementing them in the game you know I mean, some things like hydrostatic search or sonar already exist in the game, so it's easy to see how that could map onto submarines, whereas depth charges don't, so that'll be an interesting new mechanic to sort of, you know, sink my teeth into. But um, the game very much represents the the pre-Dreadnought era up until right about 1945. Um, And the game represents these various eras in naval history that took place during that time with tiers. So tier one through tier 10. Tier one being those very early uh, cruisers that existed pre-Dreadnought to tier 10 being the, you know, the height of technological advancement at the end of World War II. What sort of, what historical submarines do you kind of see fitting into those various, those tiers, you know, from the various early, very earliest U-boats to uh, the more advanced submarines that started to appear at the end of the Second World War? First of all, we're not going to introduce submarines into the full uh, tier structure. We're going to start them off at tier 6, and that's mostly for um, for gameplay reasons. It's not that submarines didn't, didn't exist before that, before the, um, before the kind of engineering uh, time period that is described, roughly speaking, by that, by that assigned tier. Yes, they did, but we kind of don't want players to to play submarines in low tiers because it would be uh, a de- not, not a detrimental experience, but uh, not an optimal experience that we want to deliver. Uh, because you have to understand that all the characteristics that we have in the game, they do scale up through the tiers. So you know you go through uh, you go from those uh, pre dreadnoughts, as you said, which are incredibly slow. Uh, in comparison uh, to other stuff in our game that you have later on uh, and they you know everything is slow about them they're slow in lumbering they're not very accurate they don't have as many guns and so if you think about submarines they also would have to scale scale up from somewhere and at some point that initial experience where you might have to be a super slow submarine that's under the water that's still very very you know very squishy very fragile and has maybe only one torpedo tube that you need to be very careful to aim and to hit with, that might not be a good experience to start with for a ship class for people. And so we're going to start with kind of uh, submarines from the early stages of the Second World War, and then we're going to progress from there to designs uh, that were kind of more advanced at the end of World War II or even slightly beyond, because I think the... uh, the actual um, 
limit that we have in terms of uh, engineering paradigms, it goes into the late 50s, actually, so slightly before the Cold War. But the, the kind of the, the historical cutoff, cutoff that we take is uh, the introduction of um, more advanced radar, of jet airplanes, and of missile systems. That's kind of where we draw the line of where World Warships should end in terms of its current experience. Okay, yeah. Um, th- I mean, that completely fits in with my experience of the game so far, that uh, as you progress through the tiers, sort of more mechanics and aspects are introduced to the game. For example, aircraft carriers don't appear until Tier 4. Radar, I think, appears at Tier 8 or something like that. Sounds like an effective way to implement it. You did touch on something else just now that uh, I'm a little interested in, which is where you see Wargaming taking the game in the future. So uh, we've already discussed that what is it, like four or five, six navies have been added to the game. Uh, now you're implementing submarines. So to what other directions do you think the uh, Wargaming will go and maybe won't go, which you already mentioned? Yeah, that's a diff- difficult question to answer, actually. Uh, like it's easier to, uh, to answer the question where we won't go because I touched on, on the fact that we consider guided missile systems to be kind of the, the place where, where World of Warships should end. And the reason for that is because we've actually tested guided missile systems as a, a viable weapon of choice. And they didn't turn out to be, uh, to be really viable for the game because they're too difficult to balance for us, we believe, at least at this point. So we've kind of we've taken them off the board and we actually had some ships that were designed to carry guided missile systems and we had to convert them back into um, into kind of their previous historical um, or previous engineering forms kind of where those missile systems are removed and so um, so we don't really know exactly where we're going to go in terms of introducing new mechanics and stuff it kind of depends on um, it depends a lot on submarines and how they're going to um, to be accepted by the player base and how they're going to evolve. One of the things that we did uh, that we did mention when we were working on our uh, aircraft carrier class earlier in 2019 was that we would potentially look at introducing a new aircraft carrier role, which was more a support role, where potentially you would have um, aircraft carriers that carry aircraft that are not specifically meant to deal damage to the enemy, but more meant to maybe drop uh, supplies for its for allies and maybe provide you know uh, passive bonuses or whatever so that's something that we have kind of in our backlog that we've already told our community about and we're definitely still going to look at that after we're done with with submarines okay that's really interesting because I mean the aircraft carriers kind of already for the very various navies kind of inhabit different roles whereas the japanese carriers are very much strike carriers meant to deal a lot of damage to to uh capital ships and and the royal navy carriers are more uh i guess you could say occupy more of a supporter scouting role to they can for example they can take on uh destroyers more easily in my experience but uh don't necessarily deal as much damage to to capital ships so it's interesting to see how that wrinkle might into the game at some point in the future. We've been talking a lot about where uh, Wargaming might take World of Warships, but actually uh, we haven't discussed what the initial inspiration for the game was. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. 
I mean, it's it's not a secret that wargaming kind of uh, made it big with with the success of World of Tanks, and so that was one of the sparks for uh, for potentially looking into taking the concept that made World of Tanks uh, a great game and uh, seeing if it can be applied to other uh, branches of, of uh, vehicular combat, like the Navy and like the Air Force, uh, and potentially the infantry as well. Why not? And so when uh, when that uh, decision was being made, uh, the company leadership was looking for a studio that could uh, kind of realize that vision. And uh, Leicester Studio, uh, whose origins are in St. Petersburg, the, the capital of the Russian and Soviet navies, um, was was a good candidate for that because they had experience in um, in video production before. They had made uh, movies for uh, or video footage for Russian television and Russian movies, uh, and a lot of that was about the navy. And they had a lot of experience with making um, models of three D models for their previous games, which were mostly you know real time strategy games or, or or strategy games in general. And so they had a, a bit of experience with producing uh, naval units for those games. And uh, and because it's in St. Petersburg, all of the people there were incredibly passionate about the Navy. And they said, yes, we can produce a naval game for you. And that's kind of how it all came together in the very beginning. Okay. Thank you. One aspect of the game we haven't discussed yet either is uh, operations. So, so far we've mostly been discussing the player versus player, or the player versus computer modes, essentially, the co-op and uh, random battles, where players are sort of in a, not necessarily a sandbox, but they can do it, do whatever they need to do to defeat the other team. But there's yeah. also operations, which are sort of scenarios that exist already, where uh, maybe you need to go destroy a enemy naval base, or maybe you need to defend your base, something like that, um, where it's a team of players against a team of all bots. Um, what are the inspiration for those, and um, how do you see submarines, the introduction of submarines at some point, influencing new operations? Um, so the inspirations for those, they come from different places. It just depends. In some cases, they come from the research that was done on you know, a specific theater of operations, and there was something um, very special happening there where we might have all of the models uh, of the ships already in the game and it just, just doesn't take much effort for us to script this. Uh, and in some cases, you know, like in the case of uh, Operation Dynamo, that came from our uh, collaboration with um, with the movie Dunker, which, which was released, I think, two years ago. Uh, and so those kinds of kind of came together quite naturally where we said, well, that that movie tells a great story and we might want to tell that same story within uh, our game and uh, we want to have those ships that participated in that operation anyway so why not why not both and so for submarines um we we might look at creating operations um that are specific to submarines very specifically because submarines are a um are a mode in the game that allows us to portray those uh, to portray how those submarine operations uh, would look like very accurately because they are mostly centered around uh, you know an operational unit t- 
that is uh, that tells a story that's very one-sided, so to speak. So there's not not that much um, not that much back and forth in terms of interactions between both sides going uh, going on as you might expect in a naval battle, where you know you have to. Uh, you have to tally casualties and uh, based on that or based on fleet movements there are certain things happening but uh, considering the, the historical role of submarines where they were you know, doing, doing um, merchant raids for example uh, or fighting against um, convoy escorts that's a, a very one-sided story where it's mostly up to the one side to uh, you know, to uh, create an environment where they're they're going to be successful, and having a scripted scenario allows us to uh, control that environment uh, in a way that allows us to tell a very lifelike story. So we might look into doing doing that for submarines. Okay, yeah, that I mean that sounds like a lot of fun to me. Right now, I already look forward to the uh, weekly operations to see what uh, Wargaming has come up with this time. So, if uh, maybe a convoy escort scenario or maybe a, a wolf pack type scenario would be really interesting. Um, I do want to change focus here for a minute and uh, mention that Wargaming recently teamed up with uh, StackUp.org, a military charity supporting active and veteran service members from the U.S. and allied nations by promoting positive mental health. Uh, can you tell us about StackUp and Operation Lifeboat? Yeah, sure. That's actually a collaboration that's just ended. And uh, and we, we did that uh, because we have a huge veteran, uh, veteran uh, community within uh, the audience of our game. It's more than 45% uh, of uh, people who play our game. And when we launched... We got a lot of commentary from them, and they said uh, things like, uh, thank you very much for this game because it allows me to deal with my issues better, or it allows me to reconnect with my um, uh, you know, former service, uh, service member friends. Uh, and that was qu- quite unexpected. We didn't, we didn't you know, expect this to happen, but uh, looking at the amount of veterans or, or, or active service members playing our game and then having uh, a lot of uh, veterans in our staff, especially uh, in North America, StackUp was kind of a natural partner for us. So we reached, reached out to them, we talked, and we, we kind of uh, fell in love with the idea of supporting veterans' mental health and giving back to our community a little bit. And so... We we created uh, two sets of bundles that uh, you know our audience could could buy in our uh, premium shop uh, if they so chose, and all of the proceeds would be donated to uh, to stack up, and our players could get some cool stuff in the game, including some premium ships. And uh, as I mentioned, that just concluded on um, on May the fifth, and uh, we had a goal of a hundred thousand dollars. To reach, and uh, I think we reached around about 150,000. So that's a great testament to, to the fact that our, uh, you know, our player base feels as strongly for veterans uh, and supporting them as as we do. And uh, it's an amazing World of Warships community. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, kind of funny, I suppose, because I, I mean, I one of those players that also happens to be a veteran, and I played the game with some of my friends that I went through uh, officer training with. So. Uh, I mean, it definitely has an appeal. Um, another question, maybe on a little bit different topic, is uh, so 
when you play the game, even if maybe you don't have as much time these days in your new uh, position with the company, what class do you like to play? So um, usually for most players, they they play one or two classes as a main. Uh, for me, it's always been battleships and destroyers for for you know for two different reasons. So I I'm mostly looking for emotional emotional impact and emotional engagement in my my games. So I play for the moment. Like you know, uh, if you look at if you look at sports, you know you you play for for uh, for scoring the goal you know that one goal or for the hail mary shot or whatever and so i look for those and uh, you know that's why i usually play very aggressive battleships and they play you know destroyers in a very aggressive role as well yeah i uh, <laughs> i know what you mean i i definitely i'm a destroyer player myself uh especially the uh japanese and american ones for slightly different roles and some people say uh i don't know if you look on the forums and stuff that uh the destroyer just has so many tasks they have to perform in the game, you know, capturing objectives, spotting, um, screening for other destroyers, and then they're very vulnerable to uh, aircraft carriers that, oh, it's too much work. Who wants to play destroyer? For me, I feel like that's just that many more things I have to do in the game that make it more fun. And then, obviously, the emotional impact. If, if you're able to get, you know, that perfect positioning and deliver those torpedoes, so that you, as a yeah. tiny destroyer, can kill that battleship. That's just a great feeling. Yeah, more tasks equals more accomplishment, and that's that's a great feeling. Not for everybody, but for, <laughs> for a lot of people it is. Yeah, some of my friends like playing battleships. And I'm like, I don't know, to me, battleships can be boring. You know, you sit on the back of the map and get in those long-range artillery duels. I know some people love it, but, you know, I'm definitely a destroyer guy. That's that's kind of the appeal, you know, and that's that touches on what I mentioned before. We want to allow people to play the game as they want to play it, not specifically as the game makes them play it. And so, you know, if there is a player that that you know wants to be in a battleship that has extremely long range guns and wants to sit back and relax and and click people to death every thirty seconds, then that's an experience that that is fine in you know in in that sense, as long as they contribute to winning the battle in a meaningful way, and they can doing that then that's fine. Yeah, and I mean, part of my role as a destroyer is to spot the target for them and let, let them kill it with their uh, huge 16-inch guns. Well, maybe not let them kill it, but help them yeah, yeah, yeah. deal some damage. Well, I definitely don't want to shoot at them and have the, let the, the whole enemy team know where I am. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, funny. I don't know what a psychologist would say about it or anything, but I think, you know, what... Sh- ship class you use and and how you like to play the game probably says something about your personality i don't know what it is but it's got to say something thanks it's been a great discussion yeah i enjoyed it a lot thank you all right thanks a lot yeah have a great day man